Hey everyone, Tyson Moore here. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let me begin by saying that I am super excited about today's conversation. As you may remember, when I started this podcast, I desired to bring makers together and engage them in Christian conversation. But I never really knew where the Lord was going to take it and who those makers actually might be. Which is why today I'm so excited to bring you my interview with Jake Weidman, a professional artist and a certified master penman. Okay, if you're like me a couple years ago, then you hear Jake's name and you don't necessarily recognize it, like you might have with my previous two guests. But if you are familiar with Jake's work, then you immediately recognize what an honor and a privilege this was to be able to talk with him. I've been following Jake's journey for a couple of years now and have watched him masterfully wield the power of his calligraphy pen, producing masterpieces which have been celebrated in documentaries online and even seen in Apple stores worldwide as he appeared in Apple's 2015 keynote demo of the iPad Pro and Pencil. I've watched Jake masterfully transfer his excellence in his craft over to woodwork too, in his carvings and lathe work. Jake has worked hard and has earned the title of Master Penman, which is shared by only 12 in the world. But, as you might can guess, one of my absolute favorite things about Jake is that underneath all of his success and expertise and excellence in his craft is a heart that is devoted to Jesus and submissive to him as Lord. So listen in today. I pray that you're encouraged by today's conversation. Welcome, Jake Weidman, to the Think Make Podcast, Episode 3. Wow, it is not every day that I have the opportunity to speak with a professional artist. This is an incredible opportunity, and I am so grateful for you taking the time today to talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you do it. Yeah. And be sure to thank your wife, Hannah, as well, for setting up this time for you to be here on the podcast. Um, I made this a couple of months ago, really, to just be a bridge and a conversation piece to engage makers in Christian conversation. And the majority cool. of the people that kind of, I'm assuming, are listening in today will be woodworkers. Um, there's mm -hmm. probably a lot of artists as well that I'm maybe a little less uh, familiar with that might be listening in. But I just wanted to kind of open things up just in case there are people listening in that aren't familiar with your work. Would you take just a little bit of time to explain who you are and maybe what you do? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm an artist and a certified master penman. Uh, one of only 12 in the world with that um, certification. And so I blend a lot of different mediums uh, with my work. I work in everything from uh, painting in, uh, well, mainly oil now. I used to do acrylics, but I, I've i just really been favoring oils much more. Um, drawing in pencil, colored pencil, charcoal, carving in uh, wood, bone, antler, um, just started translating some of my work into bronze. And so then there's a whole, you know, th there's a lot of crossover as far as like what I use, you know, um, in the calligraphic world, um, with actually writing with, with a dip pen, which I do, that's a, ended up being a whole medium in and of itself was actually carving my own dip pens and making them for calligraphy. And so, uh, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth to it. And, and every art form that I get into always, you know, kind of leads me down different paths. So it's hard to really explain yeah. <laughs> in uh, a nutshell what I do because it's just it really is uh, all over the board. But yeah, I just I love I love art and craftsmanship, and it, I'm always looking for for new mediums to challenge me, and then it becomes like a new tool in my toolkit to just 
always turn to in order to be able to create something different. Wow, yeah. that, that is so awesome. I remember, for those that are listening who can't see, there's a painting, I, I, I'm hoping you would call it a painting, it might be a drawing, of C.S. Lewis and Aslan oh, behind yeah. you. Uh, no, it's actually, that is, uh, it's a drawing, a drawing just drawing, uh, charcoal and pencil. Drawing, so, yes. Yeah. I remember specifically, that was the, I think the piece that you were working on when I first ran across your work. So I've been very thankful to be along your journey and watch all of these different things unfold that you just mentioned, but I have a, a very special attachment to that piece right there. Yeah, that one's uh, that one's pretty special to me too. I mean, I read a lot of C.S. Lewis's work uh, in college, and and then thereafter, and then I started just during my work. I since I my eyes are otherwise occupied, I I don't get a lot of chance, uh, a lot of time to read. So I listen to his books on tape, and I've listened to several of his books several times over. Um, but he's he's incredibly inspiring to me as an artist and. Um, thinker and as a Christian, so he's he's an incredible man. So I I just had to do his portrait and do so, do it in a really cool way. So well, if one thing is clear to me in following your work over the last couple of years, it's very clear that you incorporate your faith into what you do. Um, mm. You give God the glory for all that He has gifted you, um, and it's, right. it's 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 definitely evident that you're a follower of Jesus. So would you mind just kind of giving a brief uh, just story about how you came to know Christ and how you came to make Him Lord of your life? Uh, yeah, I was I was raised in a Christian home, and I was blessed with two amazing God-fearing parents who uh, who just really fostered a, a love for the Lord in me. And of course, every Christian kind of goes through times of struggle and and backsliding, but there was never any major time where I was absolutely without God, where I rebelled against God. Um, it's He's always been, you know, the the central. Uh, part of my life and and a driving force throughout it, and uh, and I think just all the more as as I've grown up, that early love for the Lord that my parents first fostered in me just it grew deeper roots in my soul, and uh, and my relationship with God has been all the more enriched and just blossomed and matured. And I think the you know that's one of the most obvious ways that you see it is is the ways that it comes through my art. And, uh, you know, for me, it's it's an opportunity to to collaborate with God uh, whenever I go and create something. So. So, yeah, art is is sort of that outward expression of this inward development that is continually going on in my soul through my relationship with God. It's sort of my native tongue, yeah. <laughs> as I like to describe it. I mean, I, I love to uh, I love to sing sing praises every Sunday morning, but that's that's uh, you know maybe a second or probably a third language. But uh, but yeah, art is my first. It's it's an opportunity for me to just really to really understand, you know, not only the beauty and the intention that God has put in the world around us, but it it shows the it shows the intention and the way that he created me that he created me to create um and you know that's that's the way that i i most intimately get to know god is when i'm you know in this studio you know mimicking him as the first creator so uh so yeah it's a it's a very deep-rooted uh part of my life and it's lived out on a in a daily rhythm which is fantastic. Yeah. So praise God. I remember whenever I first came across your work, I I think I commented on one of your pictures a couple of years ago and said, you know, you remind me of a living and breathing version of this biblical figure in Exodus. 
And what's really mm-hmm. interesting is that I was just listening to your uh, sermon that you gave, and you actually talked about that guy. I think I think we would pronounce it Bezalel. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So tell us just a little bit about him, if you're still fresh on your mind. Sure. Uh, Bezalel was, um, he was the artist. He was an artist who was uh, commissioned uh, by God, actually by the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's the first place that the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned in the Bible awesome. is is the way that he came to speak to Bezalel and Oheliab and the workers that were um, beneath him to create the tabernacle. And so that's uh, that's extremely profound. And so um, and you look you look at uh, the skill set that Bezalel had, you know, he was he was a gifted craftsman with. Um, with wood and gold, and he was an engraver, and he worked with tapestry, and so he was he was very much uh, sounds like he had uh, a lot of the same kind of love for different yeah. mediums that I do, and he he employed them to really establish God's throne room here on earth, um, a a place for um, for God to dwell and God's people to come and worship Him, and so um, so talk about you know a super high commission for that. But yeah, he's a, he's a huge inspiration to me. And actually something that my father prayed it over me that I would be, you know, a Bezalel to this generation. And, um, those are, those are high shoes to fill, but, uh, doing my best to follow in that, that there is this rich tradition that, that artists first had to lead God's people into worship and, you know, art has just through the ages, it's continued to be broken down and degraded, especially from its original purpose that God first ordained. And um, and so I think that that's something that I'm trying to reclaim. That's so that's so encouraging, man. I think that looking at your skill level, it's obvious that you have this almost supernatural ability, it seems, with the pen or whether it's you translating that over into carving. I mean, you just made your your baby's uh, cradle, uh, the swan right. card. I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. But at the same time, although I can see so much of God's gifted and His grace and His wisdom in your skill and your craft, I don't want to discount the fact that you have probably slaved for hours and hours and hours to, to perfect mm. your skill. So, how important is it to to aim well whenever you're thinking about developing your craft here? Yeah, I think there really is a it is a both and it is it it can be supernatural and uh, or it is you know it it is supernatural and you know I accept that yeah. you know <laughs> humbly um, because it's like for me I still see it as is a long way to go but so you know there's both there's the supernatural and there is uh, the hard work. And, and I think that is ordained by God. I think that's right. what God wanted us to enter into this place to, to continue to come at it from the place of, of no skill to approach it like a child, but especially in our day and age of instant gratification. Right. And we expect that we can just jump into something and pick it up in no time. And so, yeah, there's uh, like all of my work, you know, represents, you know, one piece represents, you know, a lifetime of work, honing my skill and learning everything I can along the way in order to create a work of art. And uh, and this is no different even from the, you know, the workers who worked on the tabernacle like Bezalel, like Oheliab. And, you know, even the along that lineage, you know, there were iconographers and, you know, iconography is sort of a 
sort of a dirty word now in a lot of like Christian circles because iconography has really been turned to idolatry and our eyes have, um, have fallen short of what, you know, of what it points to, because the, the real intention of iconographers was to point to God, to point to Christ in a way that says, this is obviously not God. This is obviously not Christ, but it points to the prototype who is. And so that was their intention, but, um, and to, you know, not hopefully not go on too much of a bunny trail here, but that's where things are seen. You know, art was really taken out of, out of the church because, you know, people started it, stopped, you know, worshiping through the arts and started worshiping art itself. Right. And so that's where Martin Luther, you know, with the Reformation says, you know, do away with it all. And, you know, started hacking away at all of the sculptures and art that were, that filled the church at that time. So, you know, and, it, you know, that was in some ways that that was that was a necessary thing. But the old iconographers and the way that they truly intended as art, as a medium of worship, not as in a target of your worship, uh, you know, they slaved for hours and hours to become as good as they could possibly become at the different crafts that they were doing so that, you know, it made the worship experience all the more easy, all the more inviting, all the more enthralling for those who looked upon it. You know, it wrapped them up and pointed to to God's beauty, God's truth, God's goodness right. in the context of art. And so they knew that because that was that was the end goal, then they had to do so with the utmost intentionality. And so, you know, there's unbelievable works of art that that were created when you have that kind of worshipful mindset. And I think that's one of the things that is lost today is that a lot of people, they enter into it willy nilly and, you know, they think, and they don't bring their very best or they don't challenge themselves. Yes, we have all of God's grace underneath the cross, but that doesn't mean, you know, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't give everything that we have. You know, God says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Right. And, uh, and so that's something that compels me and that's, it takes an, in, an immense amount of focus, um, to enter into it and, and to continue to create something. And it takes a lot of, takes a lot of bravery, but, uh, you know, it's in the end, it's, it's worth it. You sort of, you acquire a taste, um, for that kind of struggle and, um, and you find out a lot more about yourself and, and a lot more about our father through the process. Amen. Well, it, it kind of makes sense to me when I'm thinking about the amount of time and effort that you've put forth in your handwriting and maybe calligraphy, because even your small documentary that I've watched, your mom even mentions, you know, you would often forego recess times just working on your handwriting in school. So in some ways it makes right. sense, like you've got this lifetime of working hard and you've got this skill, but at what point did you, were you able to translate that right over into woodworking? Like you're working on a pen, you're like, hey, I'm going to go make my own on a lathe, or I'm going to go, here's my calligraphy piece of the compass. I'm just going to carve it out of mahogany. Like, how did that happen? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think it was really, I mean, I was, I was carving in wood since I was, you know, just a kid okay. with a since I got my first pocket knife and uh, I think that's one of the, I was in Boy Scouts and that was one of the few merit badges I actually completed (laughs) was the wood carving merit badge. And um, I just, I loved it. I loved carving in wood and I thought it was really exciting. And then um, in high school, you know, I, I took on a major, I, I took a shop class 
and you know everybody else was doing like jewelry boxes or you know cutting boards super simple stuff and i came to class with my own original drawings plans for a carousel style rocking horse and um and i was like uh i showed showed the teacher that that's what i wanted to do and he's like well he's like you know Jake, you've got enough artistic skills in the ear, other mediums, and I, I know I've seen your work, so go for it. And so, uh, you know, I, um, I've just, I've gotten in the habit of, uh, of often biting off more than I can chew. And that's where it's like, you know, I, by submitting yourself to the crucible of really hard work that's way beyond your skill set, uh, that's what forces it to grow. And so, in high school, I mean, I was doing that. And that's where, you know, the, the wood carving aspect came out of. And, um, and then it was just, um, in college, I got a huge commission from, it was the biggest commission I had up to that point from a professor who wanted me to carve his, uh, family crest into moose antlers. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, I'll do it. I just, I never, um, I never said no. I said yes to every opportunity. And I was like, and just confidently said, yeah, I can do that. Cause I, you know, I just had this, uh, this philosophy of, if one man can do it, another man can do it. Mm. And it, no matter if it takes me longer, I'll, I'll figure it out and just use it as, as a learning experience. And so, uh, that really set the pattern for my life and every medium that followed after that. But, uh, you know, wood, woodwork is, a that's a, it's a tough one just because it's, it can be very unforgiving. Once you take it away, you, you can't put it back. You know, Michelangelo called the uh, sculpture, the art of subtraction. And, uh, and so it's, it's really very much in the same way, in the same way that he would approach marble. It's like, I have, you know, it's like you have to approach wood the same way as far, as far as like figuring out what do you, what do you leave behind and what do you, what do you take away? It's almost like you have to, you have to see the piece within it. And, and almost, it's almost more like an archeologist uncovering something that's buried within the earth. You know, you have to, you have to unbury it from uh, the material around and it's, it's really good. And honestly, I, I enjoy, I enjoy that aspect more than like, like modeling with clay where clay you can, you can put on, you can take away, but I almost like the permanence of once you take it away, it's, it's gone. You know, you find the right shape and you creep up on it and (laughs) and it's there, but with clay, it's, you know, um, you can, you can, you can take it off, you can put it back on. And so there's just, it adds a whole new variables that, that, uh, kind of drives, kind of drives me crazy because it's like, it's like, I just want to commit to it. And I feel like because of that, because I know there is, because I know there is so much forgiveness to clay, it almost, I can almost feel myself not taking it as seriously or mm. being as intentional with the, the shapes and lines and things that I put into it. So your professor, when he asked you to carve that out of those antlers, I heard you say that it was something that you just said, Hey, I'm going to do this. And you weren't even really sure that you could, or maybe you did for someone like me, who's kind of starting off new in this journey and others like me as well. How do you grow in that confidence to say, yes, I can do that? That's a good question. You know, I always knew that with art forms, like I can take it slow and then it's not going to, it's not going to really surprise me. And I, and there's so much that I think through and, and there's a lot of, uh, 
there's much more of like a an engineering aspect when it comes to especially three dimensional pieces. Um, and so for me, that kind of that gets to uh, it gets me to bring along the other side of my brain. And so if I think through it enough, and if I have time to just kind of to plan it out, that always gives me a little bit more confidence Good. moving into it. I don't, I don't really know what kind of motivational, <laughs> you know, quippy no. sayings I could like whip out to say, you know, take courage, no. press on, <laughs> you know, um, fake it till you make it no, not at all. Uh, kind of thing. But yeah, you just, you, I think you have to go into it as, as though it's, you know, it's a learning it's a learning opportunity. You're not going to get it right, you know, like first time out of the gate. And uh, you always see flaws in your work. But that's, you know, it's a vulnerable thing to be an artist, especially a professional one where it's like you have to sell your pieces. And it's like, you know, it's like I'll sell it and then, you know, sell my work. And then after a while, it's like, gosh, I wish I would have done this differently right. here or that right. differently there. Nobody else is ever going to see it that way. Nobody else will ever know. And, um, you know, to their eyes, it's, it's perfect and flawless, but I, I live every day with, you know, my mistakes staring back at me. And so, um, it keeps you humble, you know, and that's, I think that's just the, that's just the nature of being, uh, a fallen imperfect being, uh, trying to mimic God is, you know, as in every other part of life, you're, you're going to fall short, but, you know, I, I think it is, God still invites us into that. You know, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be shamed out of doing it. We shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't function out of our, our inadequacies, um, but rather just accept them that they're there. They'll always be there, but it's like, it, uh, it, it takes a lot more bravery to, to do it with your, with all of your inadequacies present. I think it's something that, you know, you just continually develop, but you know, the, the funny thing is, is that. And this is the reason why I get into so many different art forms. It's like when I get to a place of, of absolute confidence, I lose interest. Wow. And when you lose interest, then, you know, it's this domino effect. You lose, you lose focus. Right. And when you lose focus, you lose productivity. And so, so for me, it's always, it's always reaching for um, something that is beyond mm-hmm. me. And I'll, I, I want to be pushing that, you know, uh, till till the day I die. I can't remember which artist said it, but they said, uh, I have not yet created my greatest work of art and I never will. Um, and that is to say, you know, it's like, it's this belief that that greatest work of art is always still inside of you. You know, you, you're going to live out your whole life. And it's like, and Mike, Michelangelo, Da Vinci, uh, I, I know some, like several other of like the great artists actually said that they said, I wish I would have committed more time to my craft or like uh, Michelangelo said it in the way that he said, I am, I am still just a student when he was 89 and like more famous than the Beatles in his day. So, um, yeah. So one question that I would definitely uh, bring to the table is as we continue to grow in our craft and pursue excellence, even as an aspect of worship unto God, um, how do you stay humble, especially someone like you who has seen so much success in your uh, prolific career as a master penman and an artist? How do how do you stay humble in this? I don't know about staying humble. I think it was a <laughs> quote from St. Francis who said, you can have no greater confirmation of self-pride than to ever think that you are humble enough. Oh, wow. um, I think that was St. Francis. So no, you know, pride, pride continually... 
uh, rears its its ugly head, and it's something that at times you can you know you can tie it up on a leash, or sometimes you have to beat it back with a stick. Um, <laughs> and as you as you grow in your art form, and but I think I think for me in the actual process, in the actual work, humility meets you there. Right. Because it's it's a humbling thing because it's like when you do strive for things out of your reach, you know, you you realize how just how short your arms are, yeah. you know, and that's that's a that's a humbling thing. And I think it's it's honestly the the greatest artists I've met are the most humble people I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe it is because they've been they've been humbled because they've submitted themselves to the actual work. Um, it's usually the ones who who come at it quickly, who are a little bit nearsighted when it comes right. to their own flaws and failures. Those are the ones that let their pride get the best of them. And I am not I'm not outside of that. That's something I always have to keep in check. I don't know how I would do it outside of out of the outside of my relationship with the Holy Spirit because it's like in the end, you know, it's like that's that's what ultimately puts your your pride in check Amen. is when you are you are a finite being that owes your own existence uh, every breath in your lungs to to the God who created you and so every everything you know in that in that context of the relationship is that is the the greatest elixir to self pride is is a deep relationship with God and making sure that he's present with you ever all along the way and and I think also gratitude um, right, exactly and 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 using uh you know to be grateful to God for for the gifts that you've been given to be grateful for the opportunity to create um, and to be grateful for those who surround you and who enable you to do it and it's like in my instance, you know, just for me to put my pencil to the paper and do this, you know, a seemingly small act. I mean, there's unbelievable men and women around around me. First and foremost is is my wife, right. um, who has enabled me to do what I can do, and you know, and it's and it's what I love. So it's like, how could I not be anything but humbled by that? I mean, that is just such a um, it's such a profound gift. And so for me, it's, um, you know, gratitude is that, is that gift in return. And so I think that that, that has to go hand in hand whenever you create. Now, as a Christian maker, it is definitely evident to me that there is meaning behind a lot of the work that you do and the things that you create. I'm going to post a couple of your paintings on my Instagram page in the same post of this podcast episode so that they can scroll through and see them. Would you take a moment to just talk to us a little bit about the meaning maybe behind your your three lions that you've painted called the Consuming Fire, Crucified King, and the Living Water? Sure. Well, the the three lions, since we talked, you know, we discussed iconography. I think that was, you know, that was like my modern approach to iconography. And, and I actually, I started with I started with the middle one, which is which was a depiction of Christ, and of course, Christ being that He was incarnate, it's it's easiest to represent Him through right, imagery. Right. But uh, God uses imagery about Himself all throughout Scripture. So you know, in that way, it's like it is a way that He's again sort of He's making Himself the imago for us. You know, the image that we can we can actually attached to his attributes in the series of the 
um, lions. I actually did, I did the other two later. Um, and it was like this audacious thing because I was like, I wanted to represent the, the three heads of the Trinity in this beautiful, iconic way while, while pulling all of my imagery from scripture that Amen. God uses to talk about himself from the old Testament, all the way through revelation, God is, is referred to as the lion of Judah. Right. And so that's why it's a set of three lions. And, uh, the first lion has a mane of fire and he set against this black background. And that's to say that, you know, God who was, um, you know, made himself present in a sinful world. And in Deuteronomy 6.26, it says that the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Um, but in the Old Testament, God the Father was not able to have a, you know, uh, a deep, intimate relationship with his people because they were cloaked in sin. Right. And so you see in that first image that the lion is at a full uh, profile. He's unable to look at you, the viewer. He said, I must send my son uh, to take on not a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. And so you see a lion with a mane of barbed wire. And the barbed wire is a modern depiction of the crown of thorns because barbed wire symbolizes protection. That's why you put it up. Um, barbed wire is a protection from our sin and protection from the wrath of God. Amen. And in this second uh, portrait, you see that the the profile is broken as the veil was torn when Jesus died on the cross. But Christ said, I must go so that another may come. Amen. And he spoke of the living water. And so in the third lion, it's a lion with this mane of water. You can see there's even a further turn of the head and you see both eyes of the final lion. And across the three, because it is three in one, um, there is a singular motion as you move from left to right of God turning his face towards you, as it says in Numbers, uh, I think it's 424, um, may the Lord turn his face toward you and bring you peace. And so through this series, you know, it's this iconic reflection of the nature and attributes of God as he has described himself to be. And it also shows in it, you know, God is fiercely pursuing a relationship with Amen. his people and it's even reflected in the nature of the Trinity itself, that, uh, you know, in, in the end, you know, in the full three, like uh, we, we end up with Emmanuel, God with God us with as the Holy Spirit. It was a really audacious thing to do. And it's one of those things where it's like, man, can I really, you know, tackle this? Something as amazing and complex as the Trinity, but you know, I really, I prayed over it and I just continually felt the Lord inviting me into it. You know, wow. the same way that a little kid who draws a picture of their, of their father with crayons, mm. um, that's, that's about what I yeah. could liken it to. And it, it's probably even infinitely more distant than that, but that's what it is. You know, it's, it's this, uh, it's an act of worship Amen. and yes, it does fall short of the real thing, but you know, it, it's this beautiful depiction of, of the Holy spirit and of the nature of God. And in front of those three paintings, and I am no natural evangelist, but, uh, in front of those three paintings, I've had some of the most profound conversations with people um, about God and, uh, and their relationship with him. And it's, uh, it's almost fascinating in a way to see which, which lion, uh, or which head of the Trinity, um, different people are drawn to. So 
It's a really special uh, triptych series for me. And again, for those listening, you can see these paintings that we're discussing in the post about Jake's podcast, but also by visiting his website at jakeweidman.com. Well, Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us here yeah. on this podcast. Um, I'm super grateful for your wife as well for setting this up and for your time. And I wish you the best in this coming year. I look forward to following along with your work. Uh, lastly, before you go, is is there a, a what's the best way for people to follow along with your journey and uh, some of the new things that you're coming out with this next year? The best or most intimate way is, is um, signing up for our newsletter on uh, jakeweidman.com. Uh, pretty much as soon as you go there, it'll invite you to sign up. You know, my, my wife, she's the one that puts together all of our emails and stuff. And so gives uh, gives an inside look at what we're doing. And then I use social media, I'm pretty uh, <laughs> like bare, bare bones on it. So where I primarily function out of is just Instagram because that's the easiest right. thing for me to just post of like work in progress exactly. and, and different updates uh, on sort of an ongoing basis there. So Facebook is, a, is another place if you're not on Instagram, Facebook, and occasionally Twitter. But um, yeah, so all of those are are good ways to, to follow along with my work, but the website is definitely the best. So awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today. I remember specifically whenever I had this idea to kind of engage my community with gospel centered conversation that I, uh, I reached out to a couple people who said yes. And I was like, Lord, if there was any way to get Jake Weidman on here, that would be so good. <laughs> and so, oh, well, thanks, man. I, I, oh, I'm so glad to be a part of it. And that's <laughs> that's cool that you're doing it. And it sounds like you're just getting some awesome content. And it's a great conversation, especially in the craft revolution that we find ourselves in right now. It's it's really cool to, uh, to have conversation around it. And then, you know, to obviously integrate that with, um, with spirituality. So um, cheering you on, man. Well, I'm really excited about it. And, um, glad, honored that you would invite me to be on your uh, program. So thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I pray that the conversation with Jake was an encouragement to you. As Jake just mentioned, I invite you to follow along with his journey at Jake Weidman on Instagram and sign up for his newsletter on his website at jakeweidman.com. Also, as I like to mention in every episode, if you would like to know more about the hope, the joy, the purpose, and the meaning that Jake and I have both found in the person of Jesus, then please reach out to me as I would love to share more in detail about the good news of the gospel message. Again, thanks for dropping by. Until next time, let me leave you with this encouraging passage that Jake and I mentioned from Exodus 31, where God says of Bezalel, quote, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you.